0: The right habits put you in control of your health, relationships, mindset, and more. But most people lack the tools to stick with those habits long enough to see results. That is about to change. Welcome to the Unshakable Habits Podcast with your host, Habit Change Specialist and Speaker, Stephen Box. Join us each week as experts share their stories, experiences, and insights And give you the tools to build unshakable habits, so you can live life on your terms. It's time to take your habits from unsustainable to unshakable. Hey, welcome to
1: the Unshakable Habits podcast. I am your host Stephen Box, and I am joined today by a guy with a great name, Steve Cohen. Mostly because we have the same name. Steve, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. So, Steve, we're doing something a little bit different today. So for people who have listened to the show before, they know we have experts come in and usually have people share their own personal stories. But today we're going to switch this up a little bit because you have a lot of experience in the medical field. And I'm going to let you kind of talk about that experience here in a minute. And you really want to help people understand how they can take control of their health. So obviously there's the physical component of that. There's, there's moving, there's eating well, there's things like that. But there's also this idea about creating, using the framework that we, that we use here, the unshakable framework, which I'll discuss here in just a second to manage your own health, manage your treatment of any health things that come up. And you're going to share some stories about clients that you've, worked with over the years who really could have used some of this advice. I think this is going to be a a different, but very interesting episode that people are going to get a lot of value from. I appreciate you. uh, We want to come on and share that today. Thank you. So real quick, I want to run through the framework for anyone who might be listening in for the first time. The, thing about the framework is, it's something that naturally happens for a lot of people. They're just not aware of it. So I want to make sure that people hear it so they can intentionally apply these things. But also, as you're sharing these stories with people today, this framework is what's going to allow them to take these lessons and apply it back to their own life. So phase one of the framework is to create a vision. Now, visions are different than goals. Goals are about specific outcomes. We rarely have control over an outcome. But what we can control is our mindset, the way that we think about things, the words that we use, the daily actions that we take. All of that stuff is within our control. And that's what creating a vision is about, is deciding what those things are going to look like in the future second phase of the framework is skills. You either have to develop them or better utilize the skills that you already have. And I know today we're going to talk about some of the skills that people need to develop in order to make sure that they are an advocate for their own health. And then finally, in order to develop skills, you have to take actions and those have to be either daily or repeatable actions. And I know you're gonna have lots of examples of those in your stories today. So that is going to be our unshakable framework. Make sure you're listening out for those, and I'll do my best to point them out as we go, but make sure you're listening for those during Steve's stories today. So Steve, before you jump into some of these examples that you have brought to us today, tell us a little bit about yourself. Why should we be listening to Steve Cohen today?
2: I, myself, have gone through quite a few medical experiences, not only as patient, but also as a provider. And what I bring to the table here is I have seen thousands and thousands of people who were patients. I started my life as an occupational therapist. As an occupational therapist, I work with children, children who had developmental disabilities. Um, I had one child particularly who I was told would never walk, he laid on the floor and did nothing. Through consistency, repetition, started working with him and saw new habits coming together. I went from being an occupational therapist because the school that I was in, from what I understood, the funding was going to be taken away due to our new president who was coming into office. But in fact, after I left program. They actually were putting more money into the program than when I left. But I took what I learned from being a, an occupational therapist. I went into nursing. And from nursing, you see a lot of people. One of the things that I learned, and other people might even notice this too, when people are sick, there's a lot of people who are screaming. So you have to take that into effect. The people, when you hear screaming, when people aren't doing well, it's normal. But sometimes the people who are yelling aren't even the patient. There, there are people who are around them. So The thing that's important is I went from being an occupational therapist to a nurse. And while I was working as a nurse, I then learned about using the mind and the body working together, started working with patients. Instead of just treating people for what was happening in their lives, giving them things, I was now making them be responsible for their lives through learning a little bit more about hypnosis and hypnotherapy. So it's important to create those habits, even when you're doing hypnotherapy, it's not a snap of a finger. People have to follow up on what it is that you yourself are doing. So what I bring to the table is a lot of experience of working with children, with adults, and having them also being responsible, creating habits in their own lives to make a difference to, for a positive change.
1: Yeah, I, I love the, the fact that you really kind of pointed out a few things there. I mean, when people are sick, we have certain expectations, right? There's certain things that we think should happen or things that we've normalized. And I think sometimes when people start to normalize things, or they start to just go, oh, well, that's that's what happens. We stop looking for solutions, we stop looking for answers because we just, we don't think anything's wrong. We think it's normal.
2: Right. And the other thing that to realize is when you're sick, the person who looks out for you, isn't the medical system? The person who first looks out for you is you. So it's you taking control of the circumstance that you're in. If it's medical, if it's physical, if it's emotional, I can't go to, to, Stephen Box and say Stephen Box, you look great. You're you're a wonderful person. And Stephen Box at that moment doesn't feel good. I can't. I don't have control over him. the person who has control over you is you. So you have to first take responsibility for you to take you know take control of the situation.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a really great message for people. They need to be an advocate for their own health first, and you know. I know you and I've had conversations in the past. We both agreed that a lot of that does start with movement. Doesn't necessarily have to be full scale workouts, right? It's just movement, like move more, eat better, manage your stress, all those little things. They don't have to be over the top. They don't have to be perfect, but if you do them consistently, they add up, right? Correct. You
2: know, and as I had talked with you before I once had a patient when I first started working in a hospital, it was in Southern Colorado. And I was, I just wanted to do everything. I wanted to learn the whole medical system. So I volunteered to go wherever I wanted. And one day I was on a neural floor and we did have a a young woman who had come in. She was about 32 years old. She was about five, two, and she weighed about 252 pounds and she had a stroke. And the doctor came in, everybody did their evaluation, and they made the determination that with the type of stroke that she had, that she probably wasn't even going to survive in for a month. So what they made the determination to do is to turn her. Turn her back and forth, making sure she hasn't bed sores, making sure somebody comes in, changes her diapers, you know, they were just doing maintenance work on her. And when I saw her for the first time, I thought to myself, why don't you ask her what she wants? And people are like, what do you, what do you talk about what she wants? She doesn't, she doesn't respond. She doesn't move her. Her arms are flaccid. She, we have to turn her. And I said, you know what? I said, just come over here and look at her eyes. And her name was Maria. And I said, Maria, I said, are you happy where you're at? And people are looking at me and they're laughing at me. And they're like, Steve What do you, what do you, what's, what are you doing? And I said, watch this. I said, Maria, is your name Maria? And they're like, again, they start laughing at me. So I said, okay, Maria, if your name is Maria, blink. And she blinks and everyone laughs. And they're like, but Steve, everybody blinks. And I said, okay, Maria, if your name is Matilda, blink twice really fast while she just does a normal blink and people again are laughing at me. And I said, okay. Now, if your name is not Matilda, blink twice really fast, and she does. And people are like, how did you do that? And I said, because you have the ability to still hear. Even though you're not moving, you still have the ability to, to still hear. And one of the things that we did with Maria is you always develop gross motor to fine motor. So you'll, you'll get movement in your shoulders before you start writing. You'll, you'll use one finger before you do another. And what we did with Maria is we started creating some, not goals, but a vision for her to start moving a hand. So we started with one finger, with her thumb, and just said, Maria, move your thumb. And she barely could move her thumb, but you could see it quivering. So you knew something was happening. Some people said, oh, that's just the adverse effects from her medication. And I was like, well, why, why is it just happening when I'm telling her to do it? And slowly we did... Is we did repetition of moving, moving a finger a little bit at a time. Then it was moving two fingers. Then it was her hand. Then it was having her, you know, move her foot, move her eyes, grimace, slowly movement, repeating the same habits over and over again, creating the person all over again. Now, Maria ended up within three months not becoming the best person, not becoming a perfect person. But believe it or not, with assistance and a gait belt, that woman who was set who I was told that probably had about a month to live in three months, she was up walking in the hallway with a gate belt around her waist with somebody else. It's unbelievable when you start creating a habit and you keep moving and continuing moving forward what you can achieve.
1: Yeah, so let's kind of break that down for the audience. I mean, yes, that's that's an incredible story, right? So When you when you look at that, this is a case where, where Maria fortunately had you because had you not been there, had you not come in and had this vision for how to communicate with her and how to get her moving forward, then no one else was going to do this. And that's why going back to what we were just saying, it's so important that the first thing that you do to take care of a medical situation is try to prevent it in the first place, right? Right. Never get yourself in that situation because now you're hoping that somebody like Steve walks in the door to actually help you out. But we can still take some lessons here because if you're a family member of someone who's in this situation or a friend of someone who's in this situation and you might feel helpless, you can now hear some of these things and maybe you can be that person to create a vision and maybe... If you talk loud enough and long enough, and when I say loud enough, I don't mean start screaming and yelling at people. I just mean, you know, speak or to be heard, then you might be able to create that vision. And then, Steve, what you did was you kind of had this vision of we can get this person moving, right? I mean, she had the ability to blink her eyes. So you knew there was at least some connection there between the muscles and the brain. You knew she could make something intentionally move. And so you started working on those small muscles in the finger and then eventually working your way out to the point that three months later she's able to actually walk again. I mean, with assistance and and all that stuff, but at least she was no longer bedridden and just being flipped back and forth just so she didn't get bed sores.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. Even even I write for myself, I write to my family. If I'm ever sick, I said, and I'm not moving, do the blink with me. You know, ask me questions. Yes, no. You know, I, I already know I can't blink my left eye, but I said, do the, a blink test somehow, just to ask me the yes and no's. So yeah, it, it is very important to do that. And the other thing, what happened in, in fact with Maria is you also have to get into the habit of asking questions. You know, the person who diagnoses you or the person who's giving you your, your diagnosis, what you need to do, have they ever had experience with this before? Your surgeon, has your surgeon ever done this surgery before? Are you the number one? You know, should, should you maybe look at another person who's actually done this multiple times? So, you know, visualize what it is you want and you have to just ask the questions to the medical team, you know, their experience with this before.
1: Yeah, I, I think you use the word vision there. And I don't think people maybe necessarily think about a vision when it comes to medical care, because they're like, I'm not the expert here, right? I'm, I'm depending on the doctor to tell me what's reasonable. And, and I know you have some stories here of, doctors telling people what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. Right.
2: Right. What's, what's amazing in healthcare is you can go Google your doctor and see, you know, if that physician has ever been in a malpractice case and you'll find nothing, but yet you can look up how much your doctor makes, you know, a doctor in that specialty makes a year. You can find that information, but you can't find the information on, on a malpractice or an or, or ear. And the doctor doesn't necessarily, you know, you can ask him a question and there's nothing that says the doctor's giving you the right answer for what the question is. But the thing that's important is even when you ask the doctor a question, see how the doctor answers your question. You know, can they right off the top of their head, say, give you an answer or is it one of those, well, you know what, I'll get back to you on that. That means the doctor hasn't experienced that before. So it's important, again, I'm just going back to making sure that you are the advocate for yourself. Nobody cares about you as much as you do. When you were born, the person who was there was you. When you're 10 years old, the person who spent the most time with you is you. 20, 50, 100, the person who has spent the most time with you is you. So make sure you keep moving and watching out for for you.
1: I totally agree with you there. One thing that I always tell people when I start working with them on developing their habits is. Yeah, I'm the expert when it comes to making habits stick. I'm the expert on fitness and nutrition and stress management, and all these areas that I've studied and and done things in But you are the expert on you. And without me consulting with you, how can I possibly help you? This isn't, like, you're not just hiring me to tell you what to do. We're two experts working together. And and I think that that is so applicable to what you're seeing here. (laughs) When you go into a doctor's office, don't view this as you're going to an expert for them to tell you what to do. You're going in to work with another expert, someone who's an expert in a different area than you. And it's two experts putting their heads together to come up with a solution that works for everybody, right?
2: Right. Yeah, and you make sure that you, before, you know, you go to your physician's office that you you put everything down that, that you want to discuss. You know, a lot of times if you've ever gone into a doctor's office, you have seven or eight minutes to, to plead your case, so to speak. So you want to make sure when you go in, and even though the doctor may have records on you before, past records, they don't always read those records. I've had, I've had patients, I had a patient who had hepatitis C, and the patient didn't even know it. Um, he was diagnosed three years before, but somehow through the paperwork, no one ever noticed it until someone went back. And he, now he's just like, what? No one's ever told me that. So the most important yeah. thing is make sure that you ask the questions, bring in your symptoms, what ex- what's happening, what you've done, what you've taken, the medication that you're on. And speaking of medication, knowing the medication you're on and what that medication does too.
1: Yeah. And, and knowing what the potential side effects are and, right. and what the risks are, because a lot of times, you know, those side effects do get downplayed.
2: Right, and the other thing is realize your doctor is not a pharmacist. He does not or she does not always know if the medications interact. So the person that you talk to when when you're taking medication is the people who give you the medication, which should be your pharmacist. They're the ones who should know, do these two medications interact? What interactions might I have? What interactions are safe? And what interactions should I really keep my eyes open for? Doctors are good at doctoring. Pharmacists are good at doing pharmaceuticals.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think it's a good point. You know, we we all have specialties in, in different areas. You know, if you have a medical condition that requires special diets, don't talk to your doctor, talk to a registered dietitian because they're the ones who have special training in diets for people with illness. So
2: yeah, especially if you have a fat doctor. <laughs>
1: Make sure your doctor follows their own advice, right? Yeah.
2: My, my doctor, when I was a kid, always told me as he smoked his cigarette, you should never smoke cigarettes. So.
1: <clears throat> yeah. You're like, um, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of once people kind of get into the doctor's office, they're asking questions, they're, you know, finding out what's possible at what point Does someone say, okay, I have the information I need versus saying, you know what? This isn't the answer that I want and I'm going to go seek out other opinions. Should someone always go seek other opinions when they're not getting the answer they want? Or is there a point that you go, you know what? The doctor's right. Like, how how does one make that determination?
2: Well, the thing is, the answer you want isn't always the answer you're going to get even when you – wanted. I mean, the the answer that you don't want is sometimes the answer. But the one thing is, if you do want to seek a a second opinion from someone, what's important is you seek the opinion from somebody who's not in the same institution with your physician. And the reason why you want to do that is sometimes institutions run the same way on the same type of patients. So you want to go to another institution. Sometimes people that I see will say, oh, I, I went to Mayo but Sometimes, even you go and do something like go, I go, to, I went to Mayo, it cost me two thousand dollars to travel there, stay there, and get a test there. So, sometimes you get expensive. So, I would suggest that you go to another institution that's not in this in the hospital or medical chain that's different, and you will probably or maybe get different explanations of what it is specifically that, that's happening with yourself. And make sure also that you have records not only the records from when your doctor just saw you, records from your past so that's also important so second opinions i think are important
1: yeah i know you were telling me a story before we went on today <clears throat> excuse me that sometimes what happens is people will go in they'll they'll move forward they'll they'll feel comfortable with things they'll move forward and then they're pretty much told like okay these are just things you're going to, have to deal with for the rest of your life right and you're just kind of stuck and people kind of buy into this idea and they start to limit themselves but you were sharing the story with me about one of your patients that you were asked to go out to her house and you kind of helped her to develop a new habit so tell me a little bit about what shape was she in when you got there and and I hope you know which story I'm talking about here right
2: Um, so so prior to you know the coronavirus became popular in March of 2020, but in February of 2020, I was asked if I could see a patient at home just to see how they were doing. They were running a fever, and, and this woman actually was probably 71 years old or so, 72, and she had a history of heart problems. She had been in the ER a few times for problems with her heart, and when I went out to see her, or I called her up to say I was coming out, she said, well, I just want to let you know that I um, have a fever, and I said, okay. I said, how is your... How high is your fever? And she says it's 101 point whatever, two. So I made the decision that, and I knew nothing about coronavirus at all. I said, you know what? Put on your jacket and I'll meet you at your front door. And she's like, but it's like 40 degrees out. I said, well, I want you to come outside. My belief was that if she was sick, there was also something toxic going on within her house. So the first day what I did is I talked with her and we walked outside her house and we were able to walk one house and she said, I'm really getting kind of tired-winded. So I said, let's go back home. So she went back home and we talked and I said, I'm going to come back tomorrow and see you again. The next day I went back to her house and she, we started walking and she was only able to walk half, half the way to the next house, not even as well as she did the day before. So I made the decision while I was talking to her. I said, you know what? You live near Randall Road. Now, Randall Road near my home is a very busy street. But when she had been moved in her house, Randall Road was almost like a little country street. And I said, do you remember how Randall Road used to be? Because I remember when I used to go up Randall Road and there wasn't that much traffic. So she started talking about Randall Road and growing up off of Randall Road and growing up in this town and where she lived. And all of a sudden, after about 30 minutes, she looked at me and she said, Steve, you tricked me. And I said, what? She goes, You made me talk, and we just kept walking. And I was just like, I did. I said, because I knew that you could do it. The most important thing is to keep moving. And every single day I would go to her house and we would walk. We would walk a little further, a little further, and a little further. After a few weeks, I thought to my I said to her, just jokingly, I said, okay, so tomorrow we're gonna start jogging. And she looked at me, she said, Steve, you jog? And I thought, hmm, I used to jog. I mean, I, I once jogged, but then I made the decision that what I would do is the next day I would go with her and we'd go for a run. We didn't run that far. We did ran very much like a fast walk, just a little bit faster. And we actually started running. And the thing that was interesting about doing that is we, the last time I saw her, 71 years old, she was running about a mile a day. And I was running with her about a mile a day, but she got me into the habit of how good it felt after we ran that mile and just laughing and feeling good, inflating, our, you know, bringing air into our lungs, making our bones and our joints more mobile. We had just created this habit of running. And due to me working with her, I started running twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Now, let me tell you the truth. I don't run 40 miles a day. There's some days that I run two miles. I run a mile in the morning. I run a mile in the evening. Or I run a you know, mile and a half in the morning or two miles in the morning. And then I run you know, maybe a mile in the evening. But what we did is we created habits. And I didn't tell you this either, Stephen, because everybody says to me, oh, you look so thin. But since I started running, I myself have lost 30 pounds. Not that I planned it. It just happened. I created this habit. Of, of moving. And that's how I also tell my own patients, my own clients, the importance of continuing to move.
1: You hit on two like really big things there that people so often overlook. So number one, you, you got this client who, by the way, I don't know if people heard this, but she was 71, right? <laughs> so this is an age where a lot of people would go, Oh, I'm too old. I can't start. I've missed my opportunity. And instead of being like, no, 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 we can go out and we can run a mile or we can walk a mile. You got her out of the house that first day to walk one house. Literally, just one house over is all that you asked her to do. But because you kept showing up day after day, the habit started to form. You were practicing that just those daily walks for the action. And you might push yourself a little further each time until eventually that one day you really got her to go. And now the confidence starts to build right And now, all of a sudden, it's like, Hey, you know what? Let's run right. And then you yourself started to to do this. And by the way, congratulations on taking the, the steps to lose the 30 pounds. And I phrased it that way intentionally because I don't congratulate people on weight loss. I congratulate people on taking the actions that lead to weight loss. And that was the other big thing that you hit there was you didn't set out to lose thirty pounds Not at all. No, you just created a behavior, and that really speaks to why we have the framework that we have. That's why it goes back to a vision. If you see yourself as a healthy person in the future and you feel like part of that vision is that a healthy person always moves, which obviously that's a belief that you have, Steve. Right. Then your vision tells you, I have to find ways to move. That might be walking. It might be running. It might be a mile. It might be five miles. It might be weightlifting, swimming. Whatever the case is, it doesn't really matter as long as you're moving right and because you made that commitment y- you ended up having a success although that wasn't what you're going for
2: right and i and i've had people who have rheumatoid arthritis and they say well i can't walk <clears throat> but i'll say can you move your hands and like yeah i said so start with moving your hands your elbows and people as you had said you know said oh, i'm too old i'm too this well you know what you're too old but believe it or not you can get older you think, oh, I'm too big. Well, you can get bigger. I'm too tired. You'll become, you will become. You don't know that you can get even more of what it is that you think that you have. So just doing some movement is going to start stopping some of those things that have already started to affect you. And as you start doing it more, you'll start noticing changes that you have in your, in your life.
1: So you gave us a whole bunch there to really kind of sink into and and let us realize some things that we can be doing to prevent ourselves from having to hope that a Steve Cohen comes in to save the day. Right. So how did you get to that point, Steve? Like what what did your path look like that helped you start to recognize some of these things? Because let's be honest. The things that you're saying, that the stories that you're sharing with us, they're not the typical stories of what happens in the medical profession. So I want to hear your story in terms of how you went from working as as a nurse all the way to what you do now and why you made those choices that you made along the way.
2: You know, many years ago, I went and I actually went to a patient's house a patient in a very affluent neighborhood. So just so you're aware of this, this isn't something that happens because people don't have money. And there was a man, I went to his house and every time I go to somebody's home, I have paperwork that says their name, their birth date, their diagnosis. This man had no diagnosis on his paperwork. And when I got to his house, I knocked on his door and his wife asked me who I was because they didn't answer the phone either when I called them, but even... When someone doesn't answer the phone, you still go to their house. And I explained to him that I was here to do an assessment. And the wife said, you know what? Give me a minute. I don't think we want you here. And she slammed the door in my face. And I waited. And I waited for her to come back. And she said, I talked to my husband. You can talk to him. You've got 15 minutes. And for me, unlike going into a doctor's office, somebody comes to see me. I spend almost an hour with them each time. So I went up to his room and here he was laying in bed. And he, just like Maria, was wearing diapers. His wife was helping him turn from side to side, change his diapers, change his sheets, you know, try and get him to eat. And the thing that had happened to him is he went into the hospital with prostate cancer and highly curable. And somehow, when he was in the hospital, they had radiated. His intestine. I'm not even sure where, because he told me he told me the story. I didn't see these records. And while they did it, they burnt his bowel. And when they burnt his bowel, what happened is it turned out that they were not able to fix it. Now, again, I don't know if they weren't able to fix it or the patient refused to have it fixed. Either way, he came home with this sentence that he had about two to three weeks to live. I went and I said to him you know, I really don't believe you have two or three weeks to live. And he said to me, oh, you think I have less? And I'm like, actually, I think you have more. And he goes, how could that be? The doctor already told me I have approximately this much time to live. And I said, and this is where my whole practice of hypnotherapy started. I said, close your eyes for a minute. And I said, have you ever been on a body of water? have you ever been on Lake Michigan? Because we're close to like Michigan. And he's like, no. I said, have you ever been on the water? He goes, yeah. I said, where have you been on the water? He goes, I've been on the Mississippi river. And I said, what did you do there? He goes, I had a canoe. I canoed down the Mississippi river. And I said, okay, so imagine that you're in your canoe and you're canoeing down the Mississippi river. And all of a sudden you see a branch that goes off to the left and you decide you're going to explore that branch that goes off to the left. And it's just take your canoe and you're going down that branch off to the left. All of a sudden you notice the water flowing behind you, all that river full water that was flowing behind you isn't moving anymore. And as you canoe further, you come across a tree that's fallen across that branch of the river and it's blocked it. Now, what happens is the water just builds up behind it, builds up behind it. And when enough water comes against that branch, all of a sudden the branch moves and all the water rushes past and then it comes back again. Well, this was exactly what was happening with this man. All of a sudden, he, nothing would happen in his body. And then four days later, he just emptied everything out of his body. And I explained to him, your body is just like that branch of the river. You have, a, you have probably somewhere where you have that broke bowel and you have a constriction there. And when enough fluid comes behind that blockage, it takes sometimes three or four days and it just comes out of you in, just in a whoosh. But needless to say, what I was talking to him about is, I said, do you eat? Have you been eating? He goes, why would I be eating? He goes, Steve, I, I I, just want this over with. I'm like, are you drinking? No. Are you moving? No. So what we did is I started telling him, remember the story about canoeing down the river. That's what's happening with you is you have a river that's being blocked. But the thing is, if you start putting some sediment into that water, which is food, and you start putting a little bit more water into that river, which is Drinking some, you know, fresh water or juice, that will start making everything move further. But the most important thing that you have to do is move. You have to roll in your bed. You have to take your feet and hang them off the side of the bed. Sit up. Let your wife sit up with you. And you have a man. He had a master bedroom, which had a master bath. I said you need to get up to the bathroom. So we started creating those habits for him to do that. One of the interesting things is when he was young, I said to him, I said, when you went to the bathroom, I said, did you do anything special? Some people have their own little things to do in the bathroom. He said he used to read comic books in the bathroom. And so he'd sit in the bathroom, read his comic books, get done, and then he'd come out of the bathroom. Well, he doesn't read comic books anymore. But one thing he did read is he read the Bible. He would take the Bible into the bathroom with him and read it just like he did comic books. And we started creating a habit for his bowels even, that a certain time he went into the bathroom, took his Bible, started reading his Bible, and he would move his bowels. And it was, it's the funniest thing to think that here the man who read comic books now has another habit that he's developed years later that reminds him of a habit that he had when he was a child to start moving his bowels again. So that's where I started, though, is I started working with this one person, and it was just, I got such a phenomenal result. I said, you know what? I need to work this process with other people. And as a nurse at that time period of time, probably about eighty percent of my patients were patients who had some type of cancer. And I started working with them on decreasing their nausea, decrease increasing their fluid intake, increasing their eating, decreasing their pain. All these things I was learning not only as a nurse but as a hypnotherapist how to make how some habits that they do can change their outcome.
1: That's I mean it's it's just so fascinating, man. Like to, to hear you, you hear some of these stories because I'm i I'm hearing what you're saying is so often people get themselves into this mindset when when they're sick or when they have something that happens and they just they just stop. They just give up. And so many times, if we just do even small stuff, it can make things better. We, we might actually get well. We, we might improve sometimes you might not. But you can at least make the quality of the life that you have left so much better. And I just think that is such a very important message for people to understand. So I really appreciate yeah. you sharing it.
2: Yeah, I think it's more important, at least for myself. If I had the choice between watching someone play the game and me playing the game, I'd rather play the game. If I had the choice of watching somebody play football and all of a sudden, you know, they they end up winning it all, I'm like, that's exciting. But then a lot of us will think, boy, what if I was in there? What if I did that final run around the end and made a touchdown? Watching life is a lot different than being involved in life. When you're involved, when you're moving, when you're creating, you feel better about what it is that you've done.
1: Yeah, it. you know, the very first episode of this podcast that I put out was with a guy who has a terminal cancer. And he's been battling it for almost nine years and he's had body parts amputated and, you know, he's gone through all this stuff. And what he told me was, you know, Steven, I understand that I'm going to have days where I'm in pain. I can't avoid the pain. It's going to happen. There's going to be days where I'm going to get a little bit down on myself or I'm going to feel bad. That's going to happen but I'm not going to allow myself to sit there because I understand that suffering is 100% optional. Right. Definitely. And it just, and it ties in so well with a lot of the stories that you shared with us today is that, you know, I know your big thing is like, Hey, we need to keep moving. And, and I a hundred percent agree with you that the movement is so, so important. I do want to highlight to people though, there is one thing that might be even more important than movement. And you've actually touched on this, Steve. It's mindset. You yes. have to have the right mindset because the movement actually comes as a result of the mindset. If you have, if you feel self-defeated, if you feel like it's just time to give up, you're never going to be able to get yourself to move. So I, I, I love the fact that you've shared these stories with us because all the stories you shared. They all involve some element of someone not believing in themselves,
2: right? You know, and when I was, and helped them, right? When I was a child, my father once said to me, he asked me to clean our garage, and I had never cleaned the garage before. I was only about ten years old, and I cleaned the garage to the best of my ability. And my father came in and said, and I was actually a very good student. And my father came in and said to me, I just can't believe, for somebody who is so smart. You did such a poor job. One thing does not really moderate with the other one. So in regards to what you said too, you know, Stephen, his mindset, you know, when you think that you can't do something or you think somebody has told you something and you're not able to do it, take a pen and piece of paper and write it down and look at it and say, am I really that? Am I really lazy? Am I really not worth it? And look at it and just think of all the things that you do do that are worthy of, of, you know, being complimented, even if you have to be the person to compliment yourself on it. So yeah, mindset is really, I mean, very important. And sometimes you have to give yourself that positive reinforcement.
1: Yeah. And and you hit on something earlier, you were sharing the story about, you know, how you started running, but before that happened, When she said, Do you run? Your answer was, Well, I used to run, right? So, in other words, you stopped seeing yourself as a runner. You started seeing yourself as someone who used to run. So mentally, you had told yourself that you couldn't run, essentially, because you don't run anymore. And that moment of, you know, her asking kind of brought that realization on. You're like, wait a minute. Surely at the very least, I don't know if you actually thought this, but you may have been thinking at the very least, I can keep up with a 70 year old 71 year old woman, right? I can at least run with her even if I don't go do a lot. And that maybe at least gave you that confidence to start back on the running. And then once you got back, and that muscle memory kicked in, you're like, Oh, mentally, it may not have been a conscious thing that you did. But mentally, you started thinking, I'm a runner. I run. It stopped being I used to run. To I run and now it's just something you do every day
2: right yeah and when you start doing something my running actually gives me thoughts of other things in my life that I want to do or thoughts that are that things that I need to do so when you're doing something not necessarily running whatever you do you'll find that things pop up in your mind about oh yeah I could probably do this and I could probably do that and it just opens up a lot of possibilities of what you yeah. possibly could, you know, do.
1: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, Steve, before we wrap up here, I, I do want to talk a little bit about what you do with the hypnosis stuff. Because I, I know a lot of people, when they hear hypnosis, they think of the guy with the watch going back and forth and having people cluck like chickens. So talk to us about what hypnotherapy really is.
2: Okay. Um, I actually do all three of my uh, professions in, in when I have people come in for hypnotherapy. But hypnotherapy is really the way that you're able to concentrate to make changes. It's kind of, For me, it's putting aside the things that are keeping you from moving forward. So whenever somebody comes in to see me, I always do a screening. And a screening is all, always complimentary because just like probably yourself, Stephen also and even the people who view this people come to ask you to help them with something, but you have no experience with doing it or you don't know how to do it. So not everybody who comes in can I say to them, you know what I'll work with you because I just I'm just not able to do that. I mean there's things that I'm just not able to do. but what I do is people will come in and I'll check how well they focus because focus is a big thing on being able to create something in your life And then I also work on them being able to follow directions. Now I don't mean following directions like, you know, I'm going to tell you to do this, then the other, when you go and you come into MedVesta in hypnosis, there's something that you want to change. And the things that you change, you tell me what that is. And when we do hypnosis, when we go in, utilize your subconscious mind, that little child mind who used to read comic books in the toilet, we go to that spot. And we actually start utilizing some of the things that you want, because just like I said before, if I tell you what to do, you might not want to do what I want to tell you to do. But, of course, you want to do what I tell you that you want to do. So through hypnosis, what we do is I utilize things that you tell me to tell you that this is what you're you're going to utilize. Never do I ever put into anybody's mind anything that I believe is going to help them. I utilize that. So people come in. They'll come in for a complimentary screening. I'll show them how they can utilize their mind to do certain things. We'll do a couple of things. They always leave feeling better, always feeling rested because what it does is it gives them even just doing that screening gives them a little bit of a feeling of relaxation or rest or sleep, or even clearing the mind. I've had people who end up not becoming my clients, but they still call me up and say, you know what? That guy at work, Fred, who just bothered the hell out of me. I went into work and he, What's going on? And I'm like, I was like, he quit? She goes, no, I went through the day and I made a a comment at the end of the day, whatever happened to Fred? And they're like, he's been here all day. But for some reason, my mind just changed. My mindset changed, realizing he was just like a flea, that he wasn't that big of a deal. But for some reason, even that screening made a difference. So we work on focusing. We work on how well you follow directions. I do a couple things in hypnosis that I want people to get a feeling of what it feels like to, to utilize hypnosis. And then I work with them and say, this is what we're going to do. Is this something that you want to do? Here's the program. We put it together and we start going away. It's, it's all fun. I mean, it's really fun. And,
1: and then outside of the hypnosis, what else do you do? Cause I, I know you kind of combine different forms of medicine with the hypnosis.
2: Well, I also work with people. I do presentations also on utilizing um, different aspects. I have people live online sometimes that I work with them on making changes also. Our groups doing presentations. Um, so, And I also do, I still do patients at home. I see three or four patients at home every week who will do IVs, infusions. I work with them on that.
1: So when you say you do presentations, is there a particular audience that you do presentations for? Is this other medical professionals or who do you do these for?
2: I work with a lot of healthcare professionals. A lot of healthcare professionals, even though you might not see it from your side, they sometimes have to you know, keep their stiff upper lip when they're working with you. And sometimes they're overworked. Sometimes they don't have all the knowledge that they need. Sometimes, believe it or not, there's an occurrence at work that happens that that overtakes them. So I work with them. And the interesting thing is sometimes I have people who aren't even healthcare professionals that come in that there's something that I've done with someone else that it still pertains to them. Maybe not as a healthcare professional, yeah. but in the realm of life. So I'll work with them. So the people I see a lot of times have anxiety, they have stress, some people have phobias. I've had people who've had um They've been beat on in their past life, and it's made them stop doing things or start doing things. So we'll sometimes work on that. It takes a lot of investigation to, uh, to listen to someone and make a decision on what things are right for them.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. It's not something that people can just come up with like on, on the drop of a hat, right? You have to right. really ask the right questions. You have to dig into things and understand what's going on. And I know that runs a bit counterintuitive to our everything right now, environment of the world we live in today, but it absolutely works. Right.
2: I had yesterday, I had a woman come in and she was actually 75 years old and she came in because she wanted to stop smoking and, she came in yesterday. It was the second time I was seeing her. And she said, I just want to tell you that I lied to you. And I was like, what? what? What did you lie about? She said, Steve, I don't want to stop smoking. She goes, I just keep coughing and choking. And I know I should stop smoking. But can you just help me with decreasing the amount of smoking I'm doing? And I can't say to someone, you know what? You should stop smoking. If you want to say, okay, you know what? I don't want to smoke so much. I'm coughing. and But that's, a, that's the path you want to take. Then with her, that's exactly what we did. Because I said, let's instead do a, a session today on decreasing your smoking. And I'm going to show you a few things that you can do. And when you start smoking, or if you don't want to be smoking as much, a couple of things, what I call anchors, that when you, instead of smoking, maybe a breathing exercise, you can do a certain thing that you touch your ear. And when you touch your ear, reminds you of taking a deep breath. So instead, when you're taking that deep, you touch your ear and you take that deep breath, that's replacing that cigarette that you were sucking on or smoking on to uh, to calm you and decrease your stress.
1: Yeah, and, and I love that, man, because I always share with people one of the pieces of advice I got from one of my mentors is that all behaviors are either an attempt to express the person that we think we are or who we want to become or they are a way of solving a problem and right. so often within our field and when I say our field I'm, I'm thinking like just health as a as a whole integrative thing here the tendency is hey that's bad that's good don't do that do this and Just like going back to that person that you had walk a house that led to her doing a mile a day, you know, this person that you're saying, Hey, I'll meet you where you are. I'll help you smoke a little bit less. That may eventually one day lead to her stop smoking completely. It may not. That's her choice. But by meeting her where you are, you just increase the likelihood that one day she will completely stop smoking. By a lot.
2: Right. And and a lot of times I do see to tell people, I'll say, by the way, I know you don't want to stop this. You don't want to decrease this. But just so you're aware of it, there's a lot of people who say that too. And within a month or two, you know, they they have stopped. I said, I don't know why, but they just do stop. And it's interesting because people will call me after a month or two and said, you know, I have stopped. How did you know that? I was like, I didn't tell you you would do it. I just said other people do it. You just heard yeah. me say that other people could do the same thing that you just did. And stop. So that, you just,
1: that, that, you just planted a division in their head, Steve.
2: Yeah, well, you start you do start planting the seeds to make the change. I had I, I had a patient years ago too who did the same thing. Um who just said, you know what, I just want to decrease. And I and I said to her, Okay, she goes, How long do you think this will take? Because my neighbor did it and they stopped smoking the next day. I said, Well, sometimes, you know, I have some people who take, you know, three weeks, four weeks, some people take longer. And she did call me three months later and say, you know what? I just want to let you know I didn't have a cigarette today. And I said, like, that's good. I said, did you have a cigarette yesterday? And she said, and she, she went silent for a while. She goes, no, actually, I didn't have one yesterday either. And she goes, wait, you know what? I didn't even have one last week. But she didn't realize it. Because sometimes change yeah. comes along so gradually that we don't always notice that we've yeah. changed.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I,
2: I, and I'll tell you one other quick thing real quick. I was in a man who had throat cancer. Esophageal cancer. And this was not a, something about hypnosis. But when he had esophageal cancer, they they went and they did radiation with him and they did chemotherapy with him. And he, as far as they were concerned, was healed. But the one thing is when you do radiation or chemotherapy, you think of radiation, you end up with sometimes radiation burns. So one side of his face, his eye was swollen shut. And I went to see him and I was just working with him on doing hydration for him in the home. And He said to me, he goes, look at my face, look at my face. What are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I said, hold on one second. And I ran out to my car and I came back in. He goes, what do you got? I said, I have my camera. He goes, what are you going to do with the camera? I said, I'm going to take your picture. He goes, no, don't take my picture. I said, just let me take your picture. And his wife looked at me like, what are you doing? I said, I want to get his picture. So I took his picture and I saw him once a week. And three weeks later, he said to me, he goes, Steve, I can't believe how much my face is swollen up, you know. We're never going to be able to change it. Well, what I did is I showed him the picture from the first day I saw him, where his eye was totally swollen shut. And here his eye was open. His face was red, but not red like the first time. And I said, do you know who this is? He's like,
0: oh my God.
2: What happens is sometimes you change and you just don't notice the change until somebody says, here's the picture of the original person, patient, client, person, and you realize you really have changed. You just need to see the original picture.
1: Yeah, I, I always encourage people when they when they come to me for weight loss, I'm like take before pictures. You don't have to send them to me. I don't need before and after pictures to post on my website or anything like that. It's not a marketing thing for me. But take them for yourself. Even if you never show them to anybody else, take pictures for yourself. Because right. one day you're gonna be able to look back on those and it's gonna give you an appreciation for where you came from.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll write down what you did today and look at it look at thirty days from now and see how far you've walked or you've run or you've moved or that's how you've changed what you ate or or even how your relationship with somebody has changed when you've slowly made the change.
1: Yeah, and and you hit on something really important there that I want to highlight for people is a camera is one way of capturing information. There's tons of ways to capture information. It doesn't always have to be a picture. Sometimes it's just even a matter of if you write down how you feel each day. Oh, today I feel sluggish, you know, and, and maybe four or five days in a row, you put, I feel sluggish, I feel sluggish. And then all of a sudden one day it's like, you know what, I, I have a little bit of energy. I have a little bit of energy and then another couple of days go by, you know, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling actually pretty good today. And then you have another bad day and then all of a sudden it's, oh, you know, I'm, I'm miserable. Things are horrible. I'm not getting anywhere. But then if you look back at those progress reports, if you look back at those days where you just wrote down how you felt that day. You'll notice you've been making small increments. Yeah, maybe you had a bad day, but then all of a sudden you realize that your bad day is still a lot better than what your bad days used to be.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, I, I love it, man. So real quick before we wrap up, Steve, if someone wants to work with you, whether that's coming in for your services or whether that's to have you come and do a presentation for them, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: You can see um, on my picture here, you can send me an email at steve at or you can go to my website, which is MedVesta, Med, which is short for medicine, Vesta, investing in your future, MedVesta, M-E-D-V-E-S-D-A, medvesta.com. And you can set up an appointment in my from my website, or you can send an email through there too.
1: Okay. And, and we will make sure to get that website and email both put into the links. So that way, if someone's listening on the on an audio podcast, I'll be able to get those as well. Or they can always go to the website page and get them as well. So. so, Steve, thank you again so much for being here today, man. Thanks for coming and sharing some of these stories and insights. And I know people got a lot of value out of what we talked about today.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. I I hope they you know utilize that stuff and as I say, just move.
1: Absolutely, man get, get, get your mind right and move. Right? right. Well, again, thanks to our guest Steve Cohen today for joining us. I want to remind everyone to come back and join us next week for another episode of the unshakable habits podcast.
0: And in the meantime, go be unshakable. Thanks for listening to the unshakable habits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please subscribe at unshakablehabits.com slash YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. You can learn more about Unshakable Habits at unshakablehabits.com. Until next week, be unshakable, my friends.